The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. What's got you worried? What a way to start, huh? Here you are ready for a story and ready to get pulled in. And I'm like, what's got you worried? Well, if you're like me, we're what, uh, I don't know, less than 10 days out from, we're eight days out from Christmas. And so if anything's got you worried, it's your Christmas list and Christmas shopping. And if you're hosting about getting everything ready for, you know, having everybody over, if you're traveling, you're worried about traveling. And if, if you're really like me, you're not just worried about shopping. I don't even know what I'm supposed to buy. Like, I don't even have the list. Oh, good. There's some guys out there like me. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to get something, but I have no idea. In fact, the other day I was like, hey, Laura, so what do you want for Christmas? <laughs> this is my confession. I feel so much better now. Thank you for being such a great audience, such a great church. So anyway, I'm a little worried about that. But you ever notice something? Your worries have worries. No, no, no. Think about it. You start worrying. And what is, what is like, I mean, deep worry? Because you start worrying about something. And then like, there's a worry under that. And then that worry has a worry. And like you can get lost in it, right? Like it starts spiraling. And that's what worrying really is, right? The word, the root word for worry is a root about, it's called like ruminating. And it's what, it's what cows do when they eat. Right, gross, right? They, they eat, they chew, and then they swallow it and they spit it back up and they chew some more. It's called chewing the cud. That's what worrying is. It's your worries have worries, you eat it, and then you swallow, and it comes back up, and then you chew on it some more, and it goes back down. So, like, what's really got you worried? I mean, what's under the surface of the worries? Is it, is it like, not just hosting and all the stress, but, like, because your family's coming? And there's some unresolved issues, and then that has worries under it because, like, those unresolved issues reveal unresolved issues in you. Right? Like, you see, like, it's got layers to it. And then that, that thing that's unresolved in you, what's really going on there? Like what's deep under the surface? And so if you start to dwell on it too much, I mean, some of you, your blood pressure is starting to go up right now. And you're like, Patrick, why, why you got to talk about worry? Now I'm more worried. I wasn't upset before, but now I am. Now I'm stressed out. And so like, and then what do you do about your worry? Like, what do you do with it? When you start to get worried and you start to get overwhelmed, what, what do you do with it? Some of you, you just, as you're worrying, you just eventually, you know, I just got to stop thinking about it. You just kind of put it out of your mind. Or some of you, like, you're, you're super, like, maybe you kick into control mode. And so you try to take control of those things. You're like, all right, I'm going to get everything on the list. And then I'm going to plan this. And so you use planning and over-organizing as a way to compensate for your worry. But it doesn't resolve it, does it? That just creates more stress and more worries. And this is the moment in the story. All right, this is the moment in the movie where you and I, when we're watching, we have that God lens, like we're looking and the minor keys start playing or the bass notes start pounding and we see what's coming and we're screaming at the screen. No, don't go around that corner. Why would you go there? Why would you walk into the dark forest in the middle of the night. What are you thinking? Right? Like we're yelling at them. Like, cause we see what's lurking. We see the dragon. We see the monster. We see the bad guy and we hear the music, but the, but the person in the, the character in the movie or the story, they don't hear the music. They can't see the dragon or the monster or the bad guy. And so we have a lens that makes us even more stressed 
and we hear the notes and we're like, what are you thinking? And, and it's true in every one of our lives. There's these moments, these turns when things go from, <laughs> from bad to worse and, and our worries have worries. And what do you do about that? Where do you turn? What, what, what changes the story? Well, any good story, when things get really bad and really dark and really hopeless, it's not the character in the story that saves the day. It's never the character. They're just the victims, right? And somebody steps in to save the day. So in your story, in your worry, what turns the tide? What changes the story? What turns the moment? When anyone else watching your life and is watching that moment in your life would be yelling at the screen of your story going, what are you thinking? No, don't do that. That's the exact opposite of what you should be doing. What changes the story? What turns it? Well, let me, let me jump in and read you, a, read you a story or tell you a story. How about that? It's part of the story of Christmas. And who doesn't love the story of Christmas? But let's look at it this way. If, if you put it in the context, right, because Great stories have great background development, great character development, right? And so let's, let's develop the story leading to Christmas. Because what's amaz- part of what's amazing about Christmas is that it was foreshadowed. It was being foretold, prophesied for hundreds and hundreds, and in fact, 700 years before Jesus showed up, a prophet named Isaiah wrote a prophecy about the coming rescuer, the coming Messiah, the one who would step in and slay the dragon, the one who would fight off the bad guys, the one who would save the day. And so Isaiah is foretelling the coming Messiah, but it's not just that he's promising 700 years from now, Jesus will come in and save the day. It's that he's prophesying to a people that have their own worries. Like they just recently lost their beloved king. King Uzziah, who was a warrior king, a leader king. And, and then in that, after he dies, two nations conspire together to wipe out the southern nation of Judah. And, and so they've got these nations coming against them. And God wants to remind them that he's with them. But in that process, he says, if you lean on anything else, if when you're worrying, if when you're upset, when you're in trouble, if you turn anywhere else but me, it's going to actually make things worse. And, and in fact, if you get to the end of Isaiah chapter 8, he kind of makes that key point. And he says, here's what happens when you turn to anything or anyone else and you grab hold of it and it doesn't work for you. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, it reads this way. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. This is that moment when things get really dark. When you hear the minor keys in in the story and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to end badly. That's this moment. Here it is. If you keep reading, though, the very next sentence reads this way. Nevertheless... There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Nevertheless, this is not how the story ends. The story doesn't end with people being thrust into gloom and utter darkness or people in gloom thrown into utter darkness. The story, nevertheless, this isn't how it ends. Your story doesn't have to end 
this way. No, how is it going to end? How is it going to be changed? Well, he's challenged them saying, people that are in distress, the people walking in darkness, they've seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Suddenly, in the movie or in the story, when everything looks dark and the the house lights are out because somebody cut the power off and they cut all the phone cords and you can't make a call out, ah! Suddenly, all the lights turn on and the hero emerges, right? Like the whole story changes. Tell what kind of movies I like, Spence. Yeah, all right. Um, How is that gonna happen? How is there a nevertheless in the story where the light's gonna dawn, where in the midst of this utter darkness, a light emerges or shines brightly? Here it is. Here's the key moment. Verse six, for... That's an important word. Because he said, everything that you just heard hinges on what's going to happen next. For to us, a child is born. Somebody is going to show up on the scene. Somebody's going to be born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He'll carry the weight of the world. You ever notice that when you start worrying, your shoulders get heavy? Some of you, you're stressed about your health and the mental health crisis in the world. You're stressed about your financial situation, and you're stressed about the global financial situation. Like, that's a lot of weight to carry. Like, that's, you feel like you're carrying the weight of the world. He goes, somebody is going to show up. For to us, a child is born, and the weight of the world is going to be placed on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government. Not only will the weight of the world be put on his shoulders, but his shoulders will be strong enough to hold it. Of the government, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Wow. He will reign on David's throne. This is the promised ruler who... God had been promising that he would have intimate relationship with the nation of Israel forever. He goes, on on David's throne, that's where he's going to sit and establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. In essence, there's going to be someone who steps in. A child will be born. For unto us a child is given and he will carry the weight of the world. And as he carries the weight of the world, he will rule with justice and rightness. Could you imagine? Can I just take a moment? Could you imagine living in a world where you never questioned the corruption of the leaders? When you never had to question a decision they made. When you knew everything that happened was happening for your best interest. You knew that they were only out for your good Every issue that happened around you was for your best. Wow. That's what, for your peace, for your justice. Every decision is going to be made with righteousness. What is right and best? So what is the key here? It, Jump ahead 700 years, Jesus shows up. And we look at this passage and we say, we know it's pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one. What does it mean for us? Let's, let's make this really personal and really practical. It's this, let God's promised peace 
rule your heart? What's ruling your heart right now? What's ruling your thought processes? What's ruling over your Christmas season? Because for most of us, there's other stuff that's ruling it. There's other stuff that's sitting on the throne of our heart that's controlling our attitude and our reactions. But what this passage is challenging us with, it's a promise. It's a foreshadowing of a coming God, King, the promised King. But when you think about this promise, what he's giving a challenge is he's going to rule. He's going to reign. What's reigning in your life? So we, we look ahead to, our hope is, we, we have to let God's promised peace rule over our hearts. Now, what we think of when we think of peace is like calmness, right? My circumstances are going good, right? It's the grown-up Christmas list, right? That, that no, more, no more lives torn apart, that wars would never start. No, that stuff only happens when God rules as king. What we really want, right? What we want is everything just to go good. No more financial problems, no more troubles. We read the news and it's all just good stuff that everything goes right in our life. We want vacation forever. But you ever notice that when you're on vacation, you could be sitting poolside with a, with a cool drink in your hand, stressed out of your mind. Because the moment your mind starts to run, it tends to run towards what's got you worried and in trouble. It races toward anxieties, meaning it's not your circumstances that are driving your worries and your troubles. It's something deeper, isn't it? For many of us, what's deep inside of us, what's leaving us in turmoil is a darkness. This is the eerie moment. Right? This is the moment where you hear the notes. This darkness is lurking in the shadow places of our heart. It's a spiritual darkness. And it sabotages every light around us. It leaves our hearts in darkness. What is that? That spiritual darkness is what Jesus, what guys like Isaiah called sin. Sin is a separation from God that, that, that leads to, it, it spreads the darkness in us, the separation from God, being removed from the light of God, leaves us in darkness, and that darkness spreads. Darkness in our homes, darkness in a marriage, darkness in a dating relationship, darkness in our attitude, darkness in our emotions, darkness in our mindsets, darkness in how we react to our neighbors, darkness in every aspect of our life. And then it leads to a forever darkness. And you thought you were worried before. Man, I just piled it on you. I better turn the corner quick before you have to start taking your blood pressure medication here. So what's the turning point? Here it is. When you look at this passage, he says, for those in those that were dealing with gloom, thrown into utter darkness, a light will shine. Jump ahead to the gospel of John. An eyewitness to the life, teachings, death, resurrection of Jesus. He said of this of Jesus. He was the, in him was life, and that life was the light of the world. And the darkness did not overcome it. Through Jesus, a light comes into the world. A light that is our life. And nothing overcomes the light and life of Jesus. 
Jesus is this promised child, a son given. And he carries the weight of the world. And where does he carry it? Carries it to the cross. He takes our sin, our judgment. And he, Christmas foreshadows Good Friday, where Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying, carrying the weight, the sin of the world, the trouble of the world on himself. And as he dies, he dies once for all. He died for you and me, for every sin pressure, every sin pain point, for every anxiety and trouble that emerges from the chaos in the world around us. He died carrying the weight and sin of the world on himself. The perfect sacrifice that we, the death we deserved, he took on himself, became the sacrifice payment for our sin. So Jesus dies in our place, but he doesn't just die. He rises from the dead. This promised king, triumphant over sin, over death, over eternal judgment. So that when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we are forgiven of our sins. All our sin weight heaped on Jesus who already paid the price. We're not, we don't only do we put our sin on Jesus, right? Who carried it for us, but we receive his new and forever life. Man, time out. It, if maybe you've done religion, maybe you've done church, maybe you've even prayed prayers or even read the Bible, but if right now you are not absolutely confident that you have placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what better gift could you give, could, could you receive at this Christmas time than the promised gift of forgiveness and new and eternal life? And, and that's what we want to give you. And as a church, we want to celebrate that. So if, if you're ready, would you receive that right now? Just receive the gift of forgiveness and forever life. And if you're making that commitment, if you're saying yes to Jesus, you, it's personal. It's for you. You just say, yes, Jesus, I received that. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he rose again for me and I believe in him as my Lord and Savior. And if you're making that decision, if you're saying yes to Jesus, would you let us know? We're gonna put a QR code up on the screen. Pastor Spencer himself will personally reach out to you. Uh, if you. If you scan this QR code, he'd love to follow up with you and encourage you as you begin this new journey in relationship with God. If you're, if you're on, online with us, uh, you can click the link to fill out that form. Let us know that you're saying yes to Jesus right now. And as you're saying yes to Jesus, you are saying yes to a relationship with God who wants to come in your life, forgive you of sin, give you new life, and he wants to rule. Listen to me. I'm going to make this very, I'm going to connect the dots here. He wants to rule over your life. Think about your life as a portion of a kingdom. A kingdom is wherever a king rules, right? It's a territory of a king. You become part of God's kingdom when you make Jesus the king over every aspect of your life. Where whatever you give to God, it becomes part of his kingdom. If you keep it for yourself, it's outside of his kingdom. So now, do I Am I willing to allow God to become the king of my life, of every aspect of my, my, my home, my, my relationships, my finances, my workplace, my, my stresses? Am I willing to give that to God? Let, let me go back and read this to you again. For unto us, a child is born. To us, a, a son is given. Listen to this. And the government will be on his shoulders. 
Did you catch that? And then it, and it says it again, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is not only foreshadowing 700 years later, the time of Jesus, when he would come, when he would carry the weight of the world, die in our place, pay for our sin judgment, rise from the dead, victorious over it. It's also foreshadowing a time when Jesus would rule over all heaven and earth as the ultimate king of kings, Lord of lords, where his government would be forever established. Oh, that's what we're waiting for, aren't we? A day will come when we will be citizens, not only citizens of an eternal kingdom, because if you say yes to Jesus, you're part of that eternal kingdom, but where, where we can be part of and live in that heavenly kingdom for all time. Now, Jesus is already functioning in that government. But a time will come when everything will be restored and everything will be made right. And until that time, we wait, don't we? But this is not just us looking forward to a heavenly kingdom. What he's saying is you can begin to experience that now. You can begin to experience the rule and the reign of a God who puts the government on his shoulders who carries the weight of the world and where his government, what does it say here? In the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. What does he want to bring to you right now? He wants to bring a rule and a reign in your life of peace. Can you just take a moment, take a big deep breath? What would it look like for peace to rule and reign in every aspect of my life? Wow. How is that gonna happen? How's it gonna happen? Here it goes. Let me, let me read it again. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Here it is. Here's the key. This is the linchpin. In order to experience a government, a ruling in your life of peace, it's only gonna happen because he will be called Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Four titles that when you look at them like the facets of a diamond, they're not, we, we think very myopically, meaning we think Jesus is just like prince of peace. So how could he be prince of peace and everlasting father? Right? These are descriptive terms to try to help you capture or understand this coming Messiah Christ who is going to show up and carry the weight of the world and to the cross. And then he's going to save the day and rule in perfect peace. So these are like lenses to look at. So let's, let's look at this. He, he will be called wonderful counselor. This term counselor is never, you do not, up to this point in the Bible, it's never used of God. It's always used to refer to like a highly trusted advisor a close friend that you can turn to to get good counsel, a, a, a trustworthy guidance counselor at school that's not gonna lead you astray. And so he's saying here is, when, when this son is given to us and he brings his government of peace, he will guide you. He will be a wonderful, trustworthy friend and advisor. Wow. Wow. You're struggling with a decision that needs to be made? Lean into the wonderful counselor. 
mighty God. Now, this is a complete term. Mighty God is a, ter- is a war term. This is the commander in chief over the armies of heaven. Well, that was a switch. I went from having a trusted advisor to a warrior king who rules over and leads angel armies into battle on my behalf. You ever feel outnumbered? You ever feel ganged up on? You ever feel like the circumstances of your life are against you? You ever feel like things are just out to get you? Like the notes are playing and there's things lurking around the corner? Ho, ho, ho. You got a mighty God fighting for you. Now here's your challenge. When you're living in his kingdom, don't go getting ahead of him. Don't go running out around the corner without God in front of you. You have a mighty God leading you. Don't go lead yourself. That'll only get you into trouble. (laughs) I think I tend to get myself most into trouble when I go running out ahead of the commander in chief. I got this, God. I got this all figured out. And I go run ahead and then boom, life circumstances smack you upside the head. And maybe you're laying on your back or you're in trouble. So you learn to slow down and say, God, I know you've got this. Lead me, my mighty God, who leads me into battle, who fights for me, who goes before me. And then he goes, everlasting father. What this term means is an eternal shepherd, an eternal father, Uh, the role of a father biblically, what should be. What would it mean for God to be an eternal shepherd over your life and heart? Uh, One who looks out for your protection and your provision, who's raising you up and who's watching over you. I just feel good and right. And then he lands with this term or title, Prince of Peace. Someone who reigns with a rule of peace. And so what do you do? You welcome the reign of the Prince of Peace. Look, you got to welcome him. That's what the Advent season is, right? It's a time of waiting, a time of welcoming, a time of receiving as we anticipate the coming, the birth of the coming king. So we know that that birth, that coming that unto us a child is born is Jesus who came, you know, 700 years after this was written, but who came over 2,000 years ago. And so now today we welcome his reign. He's been reigning in peace. And whoever is part of the kingdom of God, their hearts are reigned with peace. But you got to welcome him in. Remember that the primary thing that keeps us lacking peace is a separation from God. Sin separates us from God. And so Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin. He stepped in between us and the judgment we deserved. And he resolved or reconciled our relationship with God so that there is peace with God. And when you have peace with God, there is no circumstance. There is no trouble. There are no anxieties or worries that can get in the way of his love, his trustworthiness, and his peace in your life. You can rest in the peace of a God who fights for you, who guides you into what's best, right? He's your counselor, who is always providing and protecting you. And you rest in the reign, you welcome the reign of the Prince of Peace. So let me ask it this way, because I want to make this really practical. In what area of your life do you need to welcome the reign of his peace? 
there's in every one of, for every one of our lives, there's an aspect of our life that is restless, that is in turmoil, that leaves us worried. And in that specific area, would you welcome the reign of the Prince of Peace? Jesus, would you enter into that area? I give control of that area to you. I hand it over to you. As the angels sang at the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, this is not something we're just looking forward to, right? In Luke chapter, in the gospel of Luke chapter two, verse 14, as the angels are singing, what are they saying? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests, right? When you believe in Jesus by faith, you are in the favor of God. His favor is resting on you. And when his favor rests on you, his peace rules over you right now meaning you're not waiting for peace. You're not waiting for God to right all the wrongs and end all the wars and save the day. He wants to rule over your heart with peace right now. And as a result of that, you can walk in, you can live in, you can experience the peace of God. Can I challenge you to experience the peace of God? This is one of the, Beautiful things about the peace of God is it cannot be mimicked and it cannot be manufactured. The enemy does everything he can to fake what God wants to give you. He'll, he'll always try to give you a shortcut, a cheat code, in order to get something a faster way than the way God wants you to give it. But he cannot manufacture peace. So what he'll try to do is he'll try to give you a cheap substitute. So what do you and I try to do to get peace? We numb it. We can't, we can't manufacture peace, and so we, we try to numb the pain. We try to bring um, calm to the turmoil. So what we do is we just mindlessly entertain ourselves. We just scroll the internet you know, or, or our social media feed. And, and what does it do? Every time you try to manufacture peace, it creates more trouble, doesn't it? It creates more anxiety. It creates more worries because it can't be faked. Here's the deal. When you, ex you welcome the Prince of Peace, his rule and his reign, then you begin to experience the peace of God. Let me give you a quick little guidance. Want to know how you experience the peace of God? When you start to feel worried, can I challenge you to open up God's word? A good response to worry is the word of God. Just begin to read. Begin to read. And let remember, this is a story but God who loves his people. Don't read it as a list of rules. Don't read it as a, just as a history book. Read it as a story of a God who came to rescue us from sin, who loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. And as you begin to read his word, he will wash your worries. Turn to God in prayer. Now remember, prayer is not just telling God what you want or what you want him to do, but you start to tell him why. Give him your worries. Give him your stresses. Lay it out to him. And what you'll discover is that you lay out your worries and your stresses and your anxieties to God, you'll begin to experience a supernatural peace because he enters in as you open those doors. You invite the reign of the Prince of Peace into those areas of your life. Worship is a powerful tool in experiencing peace because we're saying, God, you're bigger. You're greater than whatever I'm worried about. 
That's the power, excuse me, of worship, is you begin to get a grander view of God, and the bigger view of God you have, the less worried you become about your circumstances. Because it's not that those aren't real. It's not that they're not concerning. It's that you have a God that's big enough. You know what, you know what Jesus did? He saw that we were separated from him. The God of heaven looked down on our, not just our worries and our anxieties, but our death sentence of sin. And later in Isaiah, he writes this, the punishment that brought us peace was laid on him. You, you have in your hand a little cup, a communion cup with a wafer in it and juice in it. And it's, um, it's almost impossible to open. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, we have that for you. We're gonna, I want you to prepare for this communion moment. Let me, let me just get, set it up though. What is, it, what is this? Why do we take it regularly? That bread, it's, it's a statement. It's a message of Jesus' broken body, torn apart so you could be made well. His blood spilled so you could experience life and light. This was the price for your peace. And when you and I take it, we're saying is, it, you, you, be, you are what you eat, right? You are what you eat. When you consume this, what you're saying is, I am welcoming the reign of the Prince of Peace. So I want to take a moment, I'm going to pray, and then, and then I'm going to invite us to just go into a time of contemplation, of thinking, of reflecting. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your broken body, your spilled blood, and thank you that it didn't end there, that when you rose, you rose victorious to give us a reign of peace. But right now, as we go into this time, God, we want to be mindful. We want to be thoughtful of what you did for us and the price you paid to purchase our peace, that it didn't come cheap. Lord, would you prepare our hearts in these moments to, to look at anything that gets in the way between you and us. We want to make that right. Would you fill our hearts with peace in these moments? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.